Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Prudcast. It's a week here from the salubrious confines of Western Hollywood. Most overwhelming venue, the Barlevich, located, as Jennifer has pointed out, quite near the Studs Theater, way closer than it is to the Pleasure Chest. I haven't had the pleasure of going into Studs yet, but I, I hope to one day. Uh, I'm going to take my boyfriend there, and we are going to have the best time. Uh, uh, Fade that down. Tony's on the comm tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Not a... Uh, our beloved Ryan um, is ill, as I was describing earlier. He has Jill Stein fever. Uh, that's where you are overwhelmed with a sense of moral superiority to everyone else on earth who's not as privileged as you. And uh, it makes you want to recycle and deny children vaccinations. And uh, I think he came down with a bad case of it tonight. It's like boogie fever, but boogie fever uh, abates. Jill, Jill Stein fever persists and, and is written up in all of the finest indictments. Uh, so... Uh, we're back here and uh, what a week what a world uh, a, a, a note of hope has crept into everything I think in my heart I know that you're going to go but there was more tragedy and uh, uh, malfeasance more horrible um, legal conundrums and more shattering fucking um, gruesome violence that once again ripped America apart and yet look at where we are at the end of this tomorrow is President's Day for 44 of our presidents and <laughs> The one that's on hold right now, uh, eating a cheeseburger while Melania sits in the other room with a coverlet wrapped around her, playing the wheels on the bus go round and round a pilot or whatever his name is. And uh, she, he's there dipping a cheeseburger into various sauces and whatnot and anger tweeting and watching old videos of Fox and Friends that were from like a year ago when he was still on top of the goddamn world. Because um, right now the walls are closing in on him. When you're as inarticulate, uh, self-absorbed and uh, monomaniacal, uh, as a petty uh, dictator from Central America in the 50s. Uh, but without the glamour, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Trujillo had it. You know what I'm saying? Somoza had it. A lot of them really had it. Noriega, mm, a little more like a dude you met in an alley. You know what I'm saying? Noriega had that. No, I'll give it to you, but I ain't fronting you. You know what I mean? And you're like, come on, do me a solid this time. I got the money. I'm good for it next time I see you, man. Well, and he would be like, no, nay, snay, he would say. And then the next thing, knuckle dusters. I just wanted to say knuckle dusters. And lead-filled saps. And socks full of quarters. Yeah, that kind of action. Uh... No. You can imagine him just sitting there and he's huffing and puffing at the television set. Uh, he's given up on the Sudoku that he started in 2006. <laughs> his tears are welling up, but he doesn't know why because he's quelled all of his emotions ever since he beat his father to death or whatever happened in the ancient past. Um, if he didn't, he mentally did. And he keeps replaying that because he has no delineation between the real and the confabulated. In fact, the confabulated is where he lives and is going to be the name of uh, the biographical movie that comes out about all of this. Um, it's going to be called The Confabulation. And I'm getting a, a hologram of Ray Milland to come in and play the lead. So... Yeah. Uh, that's why I feel hope in my heart. Also, uh, evidently, um, bullets fucked with the wrong group. Um, uh, every other uh, tragedy that we've had uh, has been an unanswerable tragedy, in so much as people wouldn't answer or people were too young to answer. And this time, it appears uh, that a group of valedictorian students with governance on their mind are going to remind every adult in America that things are not as they ought to be. Uh, and they'll be able to vote, many of them, in the next year, which 
which will be an exciting turn of events, watching an entire class run and stand and vote for office within months of something like this happening. And I think that's an exultant moment in American history. If there has to be some good to come out of something so unbelievably base... Let's let it be that. Let's let it be predestination. Let's let it be uh, a, a forbearance and a, a sense of responsibility handed over uh, to those who really bear the brunt of all of this. Let's be bloody honest about it. Everyone else is sitting uh, in their ivory castle uh, after having ascended a, a staircase made out of prostitutes and lying in a, a, a quilt made of snail darters and, and what's left of the bison in America and uh, reclining and smoking out of a, 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 you know, a hummingbird skull or whatever. Or whatever lethal Jeff Sessions fucking brouhaha mix tobacco reductive fucking licorice flavored thing that they, they suck on at night uh, to induce the Steve Mnuchin nightmare that your wife is actually attractive even though we can all see her evil witch side every time she smiles um Appearing without pants in Elle magazine is not winning the hearts and minds of America. If I was a PR person uh, and my firm was the White House or the WH as it's incessantly referred to on the goddamn internet, is it hot in here? I'm having menopause. I just want to know. I'm not having a heart attack or anything. It's a little warm, right? Tana, can you go ask Danny or Mike to uh, put the AC on back here? And then, of course, they'll put it on. And then in, like, 20 minutes, you're all going to be like, is, the, is someone curing ham in here? <laughs> it gets cold in a hurry. The Bar Lubitsch AC is impressive. This isn't like your usual civic auditoriums that you fucking people frequent. <laughs> this is a classy place with a mirror. And, as you can see, no male pattern baldness. And, uh, yeah, fuck you. Um, and nudes on the walls. And uh, uh, dimly lit uh, lamps that uh, ape candles and mimic them in their uh, um, haunted mansion verisimilitude. Your cadaverous pallor betrays an aura of foreboding. Could it be you sense a disquieting metamorphosis? Um, consider this. There's only one way out. Fantastic. I'm certain. I haven't been to Disney um, place in a while, but... Uh, I'm uh, I'm almost Mauschwitz. I haven't been there in a while, but the, uh, the uh, uh, I know that they've changed the Pirates of the Caribbean, so it's um, uh, a ride about a 50-year-old douchebag millionaire actor, and uh, he he appears in the actual outfits that he appears in in public. So there's kind of a perplexing part of it. I think halfway through, you're like, is that really him or is he playing the character there? And it's like, no, it's really him. This was him at a library opening. This was him at Lemmy's funeral. This was him at the, uh, 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 at the, uh, uh, God it. I blanked on his name from the Pogues, Jennifer, Shane McGowan. He was at the Shane McGowan affair a couple of weeks ago, wearing one of his uh, fantastically illustrative midlife crisis outfits, where the, the a fedora and a scarf, and a scarf for the fedora, and a cat chain, and a belt, and a and a gun, and a bandoliero, and a small shovel made of brass, and you know, and a ferret. He has more affectations than Sherlock Holmes, and yet purports more mysteries than he solves. Uh, his very existence is a mystery sometimes. Because you can imagine him in the ride and shit going like, right, mate, or whatever. And we all remember the old one where it was, yo-ho, yo-ho, and then the beginning they go, so you've seen the cursed treasure, have Well, woe be to you, says I. Dead man tell no tales. Yeah. Now it's him going like, hey, I thought we'd have a drink. 
Where the fuck's my wine? That was a different video, but you get the idea. It's Pirates of the Abusive, this week at Disney World. <laughs> Next at Mauschwitz, the Haunted Mansion. Peopled by the people from Ghostbusters. Or is it Mythbusters? Where's the one where they run around with a green light and they've never found anything? That is the most disappointing fucking ghost show in the world. They go into a building, we're in Connecticut. That's scary enough, leave. You can't get a drink on Sunday. Go, go, go. Get in the car, go, go, go. And then they go, then we're in the old Harker place. You know, 17 years ago, nothing happened here. And we're here to see whether or not we can waste a half hour of time on this cable channel because you're high and can't be bothered. <laughs> then they shine the light in the room. Then someone always goes, like that. And you're like, no, no, there was nothing over there. Fuck you. And if you're listening elsewhere, um, besides this room, this is an awesome time to pour a Dr. Pepper and float a bunch of cognac on the top of it. If you're in a foreign country, Italian soda will do. Um, why cognac? Because there's a gear of festivities tonight. I feel like laying on a velour carpet named Peter Lawford. <laughs> It's Black History Month in the land of the free. And, uh, oh, we have some swag here. Oh, Jesus, I just blanked on your name. I've only known you for five fucking years. Adam. Adam, thank you. Adam, my son is here tonight. And, uh... <laughs> they grew up so fucking fast. Adam is working at a show business entity here in town. He's just come from uh, uh, Portland, or not just come, but in any case, congratulations on that. And Adam gave me this. He said he saw it the other day. He was with his girlfriend. And it's a, a cup, and it says, The Arizona Republic. It's a newspaper headline. Nixon resigns. Uh, and he said, what was it? Drink it when the empire's toppled? Yeah, I will. Uh, I will so drink it when the empire's toppled. The day the helmet falls off, and the hair flips up and we see the mushy head like we did a week ago when he was ascending to Air Force One and you saw that he had the Emperor's head from Star Wars. It was that moment before Darth Vader's helmet was put down and you go, what the fuck was that? What weird puckered fruit that's lain in a swamp for ages and all of the melanin has been sucked out of it and it looks like the bottom of a reptile or an amphibian. Now it's freezing in here, Tony. It only took 30 seconds. I was dying. And now I feel like Rue McClanahan on a swap meet. I'm just losing my mind. Nixon resigned. Uh, although the truth is he was in a shootout with the cops in San Clemente and he won. What's going to happen at the end of this one is people are going to throw those potato masher grenades like in the fucking Richard Burton 60s Nazi movies. Like where eagles dare and shit. Remember the potato masher grenades the Germans always threw? They were different than ours because ours, if you were super cool, if you were Vic Morrow in combat, you'd take the grenade pin in your teeth and go like this. I don't know if you've ever pulled the pin out of grenade. Um, it's part of comedy training, so all comics have done it. <laughs> But you've got to give the fucker a good yank, you know what I mean? It is an explosive device. They don't have it on a hair trigger. As you've seen in movies, people wear them. So you can't really wear them around like Cher unless you're fucking Cher. Then it's a fake hand grenade or whatever. Although it feels real. Um, 
so you have you, if putting one in your teeth is like eating the top off a beer bottle I'm sure you've had a friend who's done it in front of you it's gross it's also unforgettable and awesome and has to be made to be done again and again on a bat um, I have friends who can open a beer bottle with a lighter fun useful not that thrilling <laughs> Teeth or an eye socket is where I want to go. Uh, you've all seen this one where they hit it off the edge of the table, or you're in a hotel and they use the fucking thing, bang, right? And of course, it takes a chunk out of the uh, 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 the side of the shit table at the shit hotel you're staying at that you're staying at. And then there's a plastic bucket, and if you run out of paper for your weed or your hash, you put the weed in an ashtray or anything under it, light it, and put the plastic bucket over it and move it to the edge of the table and stick your head under. It like this. I'll make it up here so that you can tell like Bill Nye would. I'm not gonna because if I do it down here, I'll be off mic. If I do it up here, so the plastic bucket goes over the weed, then you go like this. Harrison Ford style. Uh, and then it ruins the bucket actually. Uh, but they're all plastic now anyway, where you guys stay. So you where I stay at the Fairmont Southampton in Bermuda, there's, it's a different fair altogether. You've got to go on the balcony and be very circumspect about your weed ashes so that they don't fall on someone's fucking, you know, golf clubs. Are golf clubs flammable? They should be. That would, that would make golf funner. Everything white old guys do should be flammable. You know what I mean? Wearing shit sweaters, having that horrible hair. The fucking phone on the belt, the pulled up pants to the nipple, the fucking loafers with the tassels and shit. Those should be flammable. That way you could walk by and just throw a match on it and they'd be like, ah! And they'd run and like, right, it'd be like Omega Man all the time. You're like setting fire to fucking zombies. 45's hair is flammable. There's no question of that. That shit is fucking sprayed on. Uh, yeah, that's a, uh, what did they call the, uh, the, the little tree that grows the... The chair, um, except chairs are uh, delightful and full. This is. You remember Uncle Creepy from the uh, Tales of the Creepy? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the camera would pan in, and there'd be a rat scurrying across, and a pool of alkali, and some mist rising from a thing, and a bat would limp across, and then out of the grave. <laughs> Everybody, the guy would come up and he had hair that was like he'd been dead for a while. That's what it really looks like. All the rest of it is an orange uh, uh, facade. It's a, it's a, it's a, a waterfall of fake um, rivulets of some sort of plastic device that comes out of a, a giant spray bottle. Uh, I assure you of that. He spends more time on that than he's ever spent on learning anyone's name who runs another country. Because that's something someone can tell him the minute the phone call's put through. They can go, it's, it's, uh, it's odd. Hey, how's it going, Henry? Uh, or whatever he does, because you know, there's no preparation involved. Uh, let's get into it. It's Black History Month. Oh, and thank you for this, Adam. And then uh, our friend uh, Sean Patrick Traver wrote a book, and it's called Wraith Ladies Who Lunch. And uh, he said it's about, what is it, two ghosts? The Cheesecake Factory? Did you say ghosts that hang out at the Cheesecake Factory? This is a Netflix show. Goners. Right? I'll have the special. I'll have the salmon and whatnot. And then one table goes, is it cold in here? Right? And everybody stops laughing. All right. Okay. Thank you. 
and congratulations on your book. Writing a book is a very difficult process. I wrote one once, and uh, thank you for remembering. And uh, it, was, uh, it came out right about the time that Plutarch's Lives came out. And um, enjoys the same popularity with today's crowd. Uh, no, but it's a difficult process because you have to think of shit and then um, type it into a thing and then edit it and then send it to a bunch of ungrateful people in New York who care nothing for your genius and have them lacerate it with diminutibilitling and other criticisms of your grammar and poor spelling and bad arrangement and tense problems. The first thing my editor said to me was, get out of the first person. And I thought, okay, got it. We'll never be in it again. (laughs) I want to write the book as if I'm royalty. In this book's opinion, (laughs) dear reader, an assertion that this book will make as time wears on and you take this coal mine ride. (laughs) Black History Month is now. I know... I'm going to need another one soon. Can I get someone in the audience? Maybe toward the back. Is there a gentleman? I promise I'll idle. I won't be funny for a while. <laughs> Will someone run to the bar and get Daddy a, a fucking... Thank you. I see someone moving. Thank you. Is that Danny? No. Okay, fuck it. No one knows who Danny is. I keep saying Danny. There's no Danny here. <laughs> Danny's not here right now. <laughs> we were discussing it the other night. As you know... Uh, Jennifer is a, not a Kubrick fan, and I, I like Kubrick. Uh, I, I mean, I don't sit around crying to Kubrick movies because no one's ever cried at a Kubrick movie. <laughs> That's the problem with Kubrick. You've cried at Capra. You could cry at John Ford. Uh, I, I cried watching Clueless um, by Amy Heckerling the other day. Yeah, when she goes, you're a virgin who can't drive. And she goes, that's a way harsh tie. I was like, fuck, that is harsh. (laughs) All right, I was high, but it moved me. No one's ever cried at a Kubrick movie. No one's ever laughed, really. The laughs are unintentional. Like in 2001, after the first half hour, you're so baffled, you don't know what the fuck's going on. And then two hours and 45 minutes into it, you're like... Pizza or tacos? I just don't know what I want. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. What's your name? Greg. Thank you, Greg. That'll be easy to remember as the night goes on. (laughs) If only the world was named Greg. Uh, Only egg would rhyme with it. So, uh, yeah, so she doesn't doesn't love the cubes. And um, I, I was on something here before the drink arrived and my whole world just turned into a swirling pool of goodness. Anyway, uh, she doesn't like it, and we were talking about the scariest moment in The Shining, and uh, uh, the, I think it's when, the, when Danny drives the big wheel down the hall, because it's the soundtrack, right? It goes... Right? And then... Right? The two girls, and they go, come and play with us, or whatever, and that part's fucking mortifying. And then there's an elevator full of blood at one point, and you're like, that's not scary, because it's an elevator full of blood. <laughs> And I've seen a Dario Argento movie. He did it better, and a crow flew into the blood. And Italian opera music played and shit. And I was really scared, because Jessica Harper was acting in it. And then I freaked out. That was a joke. Thank you. That was for nobody, evidently. 
Well, keep them coming, by all means. What night is tonight? This one's bigger, too. How did you wrangle that? Let's just do the size. I don't want to get Bill Nye again here, but look at the size of this one. I will dominate you. But I am just a small vodka, independent and free Wakanda forever. I will dominate you. I am a huge colonizing vodka from Russia. I am Putin's oligarch vodka that will smash you and smoke you. Look, I've sent a lemon inside you. You don't even know that I put the lemon in there. I'm paying a million dollars a month to put lemons in glasses the size of you. I will fight you back one day and destroy you. Har, har, har. I am eating a cheeseburger in my lair of horror right now while my wife lays supine in another room being service by I won't hear any more of this so this one's bigger I'm not a big size person but that one's hearty a flagon of vodka by god sir there's been far too much Sydney Green Street in the show lately there's gonna be a Sydney Green Street moratorium let me be the first podcast in America to declare a Sydney Green Street moratorium <laughs> I don't give a shit what fucking two dope girls do or whatever. Yeah, I don't give a shit about guys we fucked. I just want them to know there's a Sydney Green Street moratorium on the smartest man in the world for the time being. Later in the show, it may become a necessary to do one. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary to do a Sydney Green Street impression. At some point, it may be really, really fucking ideal to go, as leader of all illegal ditches in Casablanca, I'm a powerful and influential man. Uh, it's Buck History Month. And I, because I don't think the Jack Nicholson parts are that scary. I'll be honest. From the beginning of the movie, when they're driving up the mountain and the soundtrack goes, you're like, okay. And then he goes, going to a new place. And you're like, oh, fuck. We haven't even had one line yet. Can't you go like, Wendy, can I have a cigarette? No, you can't. You're fucking full tail boogie. I mean, I blame Stanley. I call him Stanley. We watched a, a documentary about Kubrick once because that I know how to treat the ladies. And you want to come back to my house and watch a Kubrick documentary? For reals? Yeah. And, um... They're mad dank. And, uh, yeah, I only do two things. Punish beers and mad dank. Huff mad dank. Um, so, uh, and uh, we're watching it, and they, they were interviewing everyone. And, of course, uh, uh, he's gotten off the hook because he's dead. If he was alive now, talk about me, too. Kubrick brutalized fucking Shelley Duvall when they made The Shining, and it wasn't fucking funny at all in any way. And I don't think it helped her mental state or her career. And they interviewed Nicholson. I don't even remember if she was in this fucking documentary. And they go, well, what was something positive about Kubrick? And Nicholson, who's not exactly the fucking heart of warmth, you know what I mean? You don't go to Jack Nicholson and be like, this is going to be like a basket full of cookies on a summer's morning. This is going to be like, uh, uh, you know, a, a promise made by a sparrow. This is going to be, right? This is going to be like kisses from a child that you love. No, it's Nicholson, man. He's probably beaten someone to death. And uh, he goes, well, I heard he liked his dogs. <laughs> and you're like, that's ooky. That's all you can see. 
That's what people say about Hitler. You know, there's that one movie of Hitler playing with the dog up in Eagles, whatever fucking goofy ass. Nazis had the corniest fucking, we, we will call it Stag's Leap. No, boo. Really? Really? Everything's Wagner with you fuckers? That's why we're at the Mar-a-Lago level. Of, do you remember a wrestler called Santo Gold from the 80s who used to do... Not the group Santo Gold. Get off your phone. There was a wrestler named Santo Gold. And uh, I remember doing a gig in Eureka, California, and I was high as the devil after a show, and I was back in my room, and they used to fucking... Oh, yeah, well, it's Eureka. You're in Humboldt County. You can imagine. So just cast your mind forward and then backward and let it roll around for a while. Bud's the size of Usain Bolt's erect member in your room with the same level of stickiness. And uh, just, like, hard to roll. You had to cut them up, and right? And... Uh, I remember we met a, a truck driver. I was with McShane once there, and uh, we met a truck driver and went back to the room and got high. And again, by this is Eureka in the 80s. No one cared if you got high in your room. People didn't dock on the door and go like, there's no smoking in the... No, it was the 80s, and, and you could do fucking anything in your room. You could so fucking... I don't often quote Eddie Money, but when I do... <laughs> You could rock and roll the place. <laughs> Eddie Money wore two scarves in case you forgot he was a douchebag. The second one was there to remind you. It's like the razor with the three blades. The first one is to cut you. The second one is to run the abrasion wide open. And the third one is to leave a laceration that never stops bleeding. The first Eddie Money scarf was to remind you that you weren't going to dig this because this was clearly a policeman on cocaine. And the second one, second scarf, was to remind you that it was the late 70s, early 80s, and we were transitioning away from good. <laughs> I'm gonna take you on a trip so far from here. Mm. Pass Adina. <laughs> I'll tell you a scary moment in a Kubrick movie, he said, swallowing ice. Um, the moment when you're supposed to believe that London is New York and eyes wide shut. When they show a newspaper machine and it's clearly London and they walk into a party and there's fairy lights everywhere and you're like, this has never looked less like New York. And it's like, he won't go to New York. He's going to stay in England. So the movie is going to be shot on a set in England. I was in the movie Star Wars, The Phantom Venice, and my driver taking me to the set the one day I worked told me that he had friends who'd been on Eyes Wide Shut for two years at that point. <laughs> and they weren't happy about it. He really did say, no, I've got friends who've been on Oswald. He had an English accent. I'll, be, I'll tell you what the accent is while I'm doing it so that you'll know, so that there's no puzzling and no puzzlement up. People go, what, what happened? What happened to the show? Why is he talking that way? He's, they've been on Oswald's chat two years. Well, you know, off and on. Mm. <laughs> oh, no, Nicole and Tom are supposed to be nice. So diamond, diamond geezer. Uh... <laughs> 
But yeah, two fucking years, right? And all he did is reshoot. And the reason why he had complete control, a lot of people like, Stanley Kubrick had complete control over his movies because the studio was intimidated by his genius. Um, that's never happened. <laughs> this is show business. No studio has ever been intimidated by someone's overwhelming talent. That's not a factor in show business. Let me just put it that way, okay? Uh, right? Otherwise, like, Sidney Poitier would be the biggest actor of all time. Or You know what I'm talking about. I mean, the, uh, it's better to use dead, exa- dead actors for examples of this. Because if I start in on live actors, there's going to be lawsuits, libels, and mostly a lot of fucking editing for Tony after the show. <laughs> If I go into Who Now, I find insufficient in the talent department. We're going to be here till the frosty fucking dawn breaks. And I won't have even stopped breathing at that point. I'll still be on the same breath that I started on. When the word Ryan came out of my mouth. (laughs) By the way, the Academy Awards is going to have Negroes and trans people this year. (laughs) Now the camera turns to the world of entertainment. The movie industry has acknowledged that black people exist, and now they're going crazy. (laughs) Next, your homosexuals are certainly in for treatment. This is Greg Proops in Hollywood. Oh, look, is that a transgender person presenting an award? Things have certainly changed since I first came here. The reason why Kubrick had final cut and shit was because he always came in under budget. He never... Oh, yeah, I know. But it took seven years to shoot it. He didn't spend all the money. He fucking shot... He was a good director that way. And, uh... And, uh... So, yeah. That's why... But Eyes Wide Shut. I now... I don't know about that movie. To me, it's like... It's kind of like a secret room at Mar-a-Lago. You know what I mean? Like there's that, that old man orgy quality about it that's so horrible. The, the, the idea of dry skin and wigs and uh, uh, yeah, just ooh, icky, oodle doodle. And also, as, as effective an actor as Sidney Pollack could be, God rest his soul, the thought of him at an orgy was like, this is making me swear off ever touching anyone the rest of my life. <laughs> You all remember the scene where everyone's dressed like Mozart and they have masks on. And you're at that point like, who's turned on by this? <laughs> uh, aside from Salieri and, you know, the Austrian Empire. The Austrian Empire. Who the fuck's turned on by that? Really? A Mozart hat? And breeches and shit? Fuck, I don't want to fuck George Washington. (laughs) Let's get this party started. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what my outfits would be. (laughs) The ones that make me laugh so hard are the fucking animals. How fucking stunted is your sexuality that you have to put a fucking fuzzy bear costume on (laughs) to make shit happen? Really? Really? Wow. And now, again, do what you like. And there's probably people listening to this show right now who are never going to listen again. I've lost my Furbies. Come back, Furby. Furby, come back. That's all I say. The name of this episode is Furby, come back. If I lost you, I want you back. I think it's awesome that you put on an outfit. 
When I was at Chris Hardwick's um, IDOT Fest uh, last year, there was a sign on the cosplay dance floor. Yeah, there was a cosplay dance floor. <laughs> and it said, um, a, a, a costumes don't mean consent. <laughs> and I was like, let me get this straight. Someone is dressed like the She-Hulk and that made you go bananas and grope her or whatever. And you thought it was cool because you're dressed as Dickless, the whatever Marvel character you are. <laughs> you're dressed as Disappointment Man. <laughs> the first five seconds are great! <laughs> Disappointment Man! Uh, the fact that they had to have a sign there just was like, oh man. I was in my 20s once. Yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Boom, 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 boom. London calling, right? right? <laughs> you're fucking shitty 20s and shit. I want to know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's too young for a fucking bunch of you. I know what your fucking 20s was like and shit. Um. I want it that way. It's Black History Month. And, uh, that's why we're talking about Kubrick tonight. Uh, Toni Morrison and Audre Lorde's birthday is today. And uh, Toni Morrison and Audre Lorde, if you don't know who they are, you ought to give it a whirl. Um, they wrote, they write, Audre Lorde is no longer with us. She's swirling in the heavens. Toni Morrison is quite with us. Um, Nobel Prize uh, in literature. Uh, uh, let's see, what else? A Pulitzer, uh, Legion of Honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, let's see here. And novels characterized by visionary force and poetic import gives life to an essential aspect of American reality. That would be black women. Um, Beloved, uh, Jazz, Tar Baby, and Blue Eyes are some of her novels. The one I wanted to read to you, this quote by Toni Morrison, um, who's a, a writer of great power. The world is bruised and bleeding. By the way, she wrote this when W was reelected. I just wanted to give you some context on this. I should have waited till after, but I'm going to read it now because it speaks to us at this very moment. The world is bruised and bleeding, and though it is important not to ignore its pain, it's also critical to refuse to succumb to its malevolence. Uh, Toni Morrison knew everything about everything. Audre Lorde knew a lot about a lot of things. Um, she was gay and outspoken about it. Um, I'm not going to read you some of her poems because, to be honest, they were too much. Uh, and I don't mean too much. She would, of course, kill me for this uh, because uh, honesty was a big thing with her. I want you to go and read an Audre Lorde poem. That's your homework after you get out of here. You have a fucking phone. It's not that hard. If you're not driving, look it up in the car, okay? Uh, look one up and, uh, and, and you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. She talks about violence against black people. She talks about hating your family. She talks about the atrocities committed by police. And um, I wanted to just read a couple quotes of hers here. Um, she described herself as a black lesbian mother warrior poet. Um, she dedicated her life and creative talent to confronting and addressing the injustices of racism. That's well written. New York Head Shop and Museum, Cole, and um, acclaimed volume, The Black Unicorn. She also uh, wrote a book about dying of cancer called The Cancer Diaries, I want to say. Um, she criticized African-American men for their role in perpetuating sex. This is the part I wanted to read here. Uh, 
uh, sex discrimination. As black people, we cannot begin our dialogue by denying the oppressive nature of male privilege. Uh, I don't think anything's more important right now uh, in the United States than what's going on with male privilege. Of course, white supremacy, but male privilege first and foremost. I don't think we've ever had it come into sharper relief. And fantastically, um, everyone's activated about it now. Uh, Lord stated it. Why? Because men are afraid that have that male privilege and that enjoy it. And men are having to amend and change. And that's very difficult for men, as you know. Um, We can't even take a different route here that we go every week. Um, and the crowd goes quiet again, but there you are. As black people, we cannot begin our dialogue with denying uh, the oppressive nature of male privilege, she stated in Black Women Writers. And if black males choose to assume that privilege for whatever reason, raping, brutalizing, and killing women, then we cannot ignore black male oppression. One oppression does not justify another. Quite right. Uh, revolution is not a one-time event. Uh, that has never been a, a truer Maxim, we have to fight the revolution all the time. And I don't mean a white guy, older guy revolution led by older white guys. But Greg, you're an older white guy. I know, imagine how I feel having isolated myself like this. I'm never voting for another white guy again that's my age or older, and I'm never listening to one. But why are we listening to you? Because I'm not like them. I'm different and have no agenda, and I don't want to be in office. This is my classroom. Why do I go to the church? I can preach here. When we speak and we are afraid of our words will not be heard or welcome, but when we're silent, we're still afraid, so it is better to speak. I would remind everyone of that. I know a lot of you are in show business, or wannabe, and um, it's sometimes difficult to say what you think because um, you're afraid that shit's going to happen to you, which it will sometimes, Um, but also, if you're not, um, it's a very good time to speak out. Remember, um, this is an important year in history. This is an important week in history. the next week might be an even wilder week in history. And um, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that at the end of the goddamn day. Um, in 15 years' time, in 10 years' time, uh, again, I, I don't always like to quote General Patton, but when I have to, I will. Uh, when you're sitting there with your grandson on your knee and he says, what did you do in the Great World War II? You won't have to say, well, I shoveled shit in Louisiana. You don't want to be the one shoveling shit in Hollywood when all the, everything broke loose. You, be the, you want to be the one that was galvanizing your friends and making phone calls and making an effort to be a human being in this world. We were out with friends the other day. and uh, Well, we were in with friends, but the point is this. Uh, one of them said, I just read a lot more now and I don't listen to the news as much. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you! Um, what a shitty time to do that. Let me get this straight. You're white and you have some money, so you can do that. But what about everyone who isn't white and doesn't have a bunch of money? What about everyone who isn't privileged? What about everyone who's not you? Um, Don't they deserve any fucking regard from you and your giant purview of the world? Or are you just going to live in the San Fernando Valley the rest of your life? So, uh, one awesome thing that happened this week, and as an answer to everything, the the hideous... uh, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Pernicious uh, white supremacists that infiltrate every branch of government right now. And the um, unbelievable fell odor of racism that um, uh, tends to clog our nostrils every time we turn on the telly or open up the computer machine. Because of uh, its overwhelming stench. Uh, as I've said on the show, it's, it's a plague in America, white supremacy, and uh, we're in the middle of trying to fight it right now, fight off a giant case of it. Um, the movie Black Panther has come out and is a, an international sensation all over the world. Uh, Jennifer and I went and saw it yesterday at the Arclight, which is like joining a cult. I don't know if you've ever been to the Arclight. It's a, 
For the people who live here in Hollywood, you guys have been, but the people who are listening all over the world, there's people in Belgium and there's people in um, other countries further away than that. And in those countries, I have to explain what the arc light is. We went to the Cinerama Dome because that's the funnest place to see a movie, right? In Los Angeles. It's a giant dome. It was built in the 60s. It was originally made to house um, Charlton Heston's internal organs. And... I saw 2001 there when it was re-released in the 90s, and Timothy Leary was in line in front of me, and I was like, I am at the right goddamn show. <laughs> and uh, I met the guy who brought the cans over of film. His name is Leon Vitali, and he was in uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Barry Lyndon. And uh, I met him, and he was Stanley's assistant, and he told me he personally flew the cans of film of 2001 with him in his seat and brought them to LA and delivered them personally to the fucking Cinerama Dome. That's how Kubrick played. He had the cans at his house, and that's how you got them. If you wanted to show the fucking Cinerama version, which opened with curtains closed, entre, you know, overture, DDD, then curtains open, then bum, 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 people lost their shit. Then at the interval, right, the curtains again, and then more music. But before the movie starts, if you ever watch it on TCM, they show it with the full music. Um, there's space music for like 20 minutes. Like before 2001 starts, it's yum, 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 yum. You know, like we're fucking. Oh yeah, it's just fucking. It's a freak out. It's awesome. Uh, so we saw it there at the Cinerama Dome, and the Cinerama Dome has two bathrooms that are underneath the snack bar, like because it was built in 1961. And when they were gonna, you know, when things were gonna be in Cinerama a lot, and it was important to see um, flashing swords. And I'm trying to think of what I saw in Cinerama. My mother and father and I used to go to this group of domes up in. Um, uh, the Bay Area uh, they were in San Jose and they were called like Cinema 21 Cinema 22 and there were several domes next to each other which was really weird and um, I saw Star Wars there really high with my friend Leon Rossi uh, when it came out was that 77 and I was four and um, <laughs> um, then my mother wanted to see Hello Dolly really bad because she fucking loved Barbara Streisand and um, so we all went, my family, and you bought tickets, and it was assigned seating. And I remember my dad having to fucking, what? What do you mean you have to fucking sit in the seat? I'll sit anywhere I fucking, by the way, he smoked Salem's through movies the whole of my childhood. You could smoke in the movie theater then. And then later, you could smoke on the side in the movie theater. That was the movie theater's big concession to non-smoking, was you could smoke on the side. So the movie theater was full of smoke the whole fucking time. And you could bring bottles of booze in with you because there was no fucking such thing as security or anything. And you could drink them. I mean, I was a child. I didn't do that. My father took me to see The Wild Bunch when I was 10. I don't know if you've ever seen The Wild Bunch. It's not for 10-year-olds. At the end, a woman gets shot. And it was the first time I'd ever seen that in a movie. And I remember turning to my dad and going, can that happen? And he's like, mm-hmm. And I... Peckinpah. Now there's a heartwarming director. Anyone who can talk to a severed head for half of a movie. In any case, uh, we went to the Cinnamon Dome. And uh, there's two loos underneath. And they were closed. This is the biggest opening for a movie in how long? This movie's saving cinema. It's opened at like $300 million this weekend. It's also opened all over the world, and including Africa and South Korea, where it's doing insane business. There hasn't been a movie like this. Jennifer showed me a picture today. 
of the arc lights. You know how when you walk into the arc light, I'll describe the arc light again for our Belgian friends. There's, <laughs> you walk, you, you park in this enormous parking structure in Hollywood, right? And then you walk down a staircase, or if you're completely uh, loose, you take the lift and uh, you come downstairs. And then there's this really bizarre mall that has no personality at all. It's like the set of the fourth Planet of the Apes movie from the original series. <laughs> Or even, to be more precise, the Planet of the Apes TV show. <laughs> and there used to be a thing there, and then there was a little boutique or whatever, and now I think there's a salad place or something. Then there's an outdoor area where the people who are sitting inside the theater can sit outside and drink, but they can't smoke. And uh, then you go in. There's a gym, because everywhere in L.A. has a gym. And uh, you're near Amoeba, which is a great place um, to pick up some sort of um, transmittable disease off a piece of vinyl that some other person has touched. I've described my experience at Amoeba. It's a beautiful record store. It has millions of uh, vinyl records. It's a great place to go. It's good fun. I'm Mr. Hansanny when I'm there because there's someone, there's always a fat dude wearing an Eat em While They're Young t-shirt going, right near the Boston Nova section, which is where I hang out. And I'm always like, gross to the maximum. And I'm like, yeah. And I shower myself in fucking hand sanity. I apply it like that. In a stormy Daniellian swirl. And, uh, yeah. So, but, because they let people touch things. And they let men who live alone with record collections touch things in Amoeba. That's my objection to Amoeba. Why can't the men who live alone with record collections come at a certain hour? That's all I'm saying. What if, say, the four to five hour was them? And the other parts of the day were us. I'll take the lunch shift. I'll go the 2 to uh, 4.30. I don't know if I just broke into their hour, but I think I did. You know, you go to Umami Burger, and every time you're like, why aren't there plates? Why is it on a piece of wax paper? I'm not at a ball game. I want a plate. And then you realize you're thinking out loud. And everyone looks at you at the Umami Burger. It's like... And then you're like, check, please. And they're like, you already paid. <laughs> so there's that area. Then you walk inside. And now they've added this at the arc light. Costumes from movies that you didn't know were out. <laughs> so you walk in. And there's, there's some Ray Fiennes movie about cooking in a tuxedo or something. And there's his, Ray Fiennes' tuxedo was there, and Jennifer goes, oh my God, look how small he is. It wasn't Ray Fiennes, it was um, Daniel, it was Ray Fiennes' um, alter ego, Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> Ray Fiennes I've enjoyed in a movie. Daniel Day, whatever, you know. I, don't ever, ever threaten to retire on me as a performer. <laughs> Just don't do it. Quentin Tarantino, Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm telling you right now, don't tell me you're gonna stop. Either stop or don't fucking stop. Billy Wilder made 10 movies past the good point. There's at least 10 movies that are like, nah, you could have stopped, but he didn't, so fuck you. But Billy Wilder didn't go in 1965. I'm only making three more movies. No more pictures after that. He just did it. Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm going to make one more movie. Oh, what, by the way, I'm in character now. I'm a, I'm a cobbler from the 1800s. <laughs> I like Lincoln. I watch it over and over. I know it's not good, but I don't care. Fuck you. I like it. And there's scenes in it where they want to make... So he's, he'll be in a scene. 
Because he's not six foot four. But to make him Lincoln, they'll put him in a scene like this. He'll be like. Gentlemen? Why are you eight feet tall? It was clear they wanted to emphasize his height, but they were afraid about the apple boxes. And they cast Sally Fields as his wife, which is fantastic. She's one of my favorite parts of the movie. She's um, Mike Pence and uh, Mary Todd. Mary Todd. It's just that they always love wearing the same crinoline and, you know. I'm assuming Mike Pence has the Mary Todd Lincoln closet. That's where he sleeps. And, uh, yeah, so I like him in that one. And, and he does like a Lincoln y voice. I don't know if you've ever seen Lincoln. He goes, Oh, yeah, I love that story. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, okay, folksy. Uh, <laughs> then there's the one uh, uh, where he's, uh, 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 he's doing a melodrama from the 19th century. Uh, there will be blood or whatever, right? And he goes, drink your music. And you're like, What? No. One's ever talk like that. That's not acting. That's glacting. You've put the glucose back into acting there. No one's ever delivered a line like that. I've, I've been around people for a long time now. And then there's Streets of New York with gangs. That was a goodie. He's overacting in the poster a little bit in that one. He's a brilliant actor. He's a brilliant actor. I don't even mind him in Streets of New York with gangs. I like that one. He's not the worst part of it. The worst part of that's the fucking script, let's be honest. That movie drifts like a fucking golf match. You're halfway through, you're like, so white guys are just going to do this the whole time? Uh, Yeah, that one drifts. That one needs an anchor, a firm anchor. He's doing what he can in that. Uh, I don't know. Then there's the Mohicans that run. That one's weird to me. Because he's supposed to be hunkalicious in it. And if there's one thing he's not convincing at, it's fucking straight up hunk. Some dudes are born to hunk. You know what I mean? Um, Idris Elba, um, Chadwick Boseman, and uh, um, uh, what's his name? Not Winston Duke. Who plays um, Killdozer in this fucking... Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan. He's born to hunk, because he's just fucking hunky. Like, it's not an effort and shit for him to hunk. Uh, Rock Hudson could walk into a scene and go, hi. (laughs) And everybody's like... (laughs) (laughs) But when Daniel Day goes, I will will find you, you're like, that's all right. The Indians have great face paint. They're kind of hot. I'll go with the Mohicans for a while. You're wearing buckskin pants. And I don't think there's underwear. And that's a situation for me. It's just sweaty, Natty Bumpo. Right? It can doodle. So we saw Black Panther and it was glorious. So we're in the Cinerama Dome and they've closed those bathrooms. They're renovating them. And I'm like, Jennifer showed me this picture from the Arclight. It has 52 ticket lines. It's really weird when you get inside. There's a bar and a restaurant kind of on the right. Then there's a gift shop on the left. Then there's the uh, costumes from movies that you don't care about all over the middle. One time there was costumes from Jeff Bridges' True Grit. And I was like, oh boy, really? Matt Damon's jacket? (laughs) 
I'm sorry, I fell asleep halfway through Matt Damon's jacket. I haven't even got to Master and Commander or whatever we were seeing. By the way, we saw Master and Commander. That was a while ago. They sell um, caramel corn there, and it's as precious as Krugerrand. It's as precious as... uh, It comes in a small plastic cup and it costs $44. (laughs) And it's simply Cracker Jacks without the peanuts. (laughs) So you go up to the counter and you go like, I'll have two for Black Panther. And they're like, where would you like to sit? And you're like, in the theater. (laughs) Oh, it's regimented. Okay, well, all right, I'll sit here. And then they, they turn the map at you and it's a seat map. And, it's, and then they'll go, the ones that are colored in are already taken. And you're like, oh, fuck, those are the only ones I want. <laughs> so we took some on the side. And, um, and then they go, after every transaction at this place, and this is what makes it so strange, very high ceiling in the lobby. Then, strangely, you walk downstairs to the theaters where there are a bunch of theaters on either side that makes no sense at all. And every single one of the theaters has excellent entrances and exits because you walk around so that when the curtain opens, you don't fucking see people walking in. And then the Cinerama Dome, there's a big curly cube. And of course, you're in a giant dome, so there's a giant dome over you, so you're protected against everything. By the way, um, if you're in a Cinerama Dome, a nuclear war cannot hurt you. (laughs) Fact. And uh, so uh, you go, I'll have two for Black Panther. And two tickets to Black Panther, they're like, that'll be $75, please. (laughs) And you're like, okay, here's $75. And then they go, are you a member? And you're like, of cineast to enjoy film? You bet I am. And they're like, no, are you a member? And I'm like, of a movie theater? There's not like an oath or anything, is there? I don't have to like swear my allegiance to Arclight, which has that horrible giant capital letter and then the other smaller letters below it that the A is dominating the weird graphics and shit and all y'all are acting like you're in a fucking cult and you're gonna try to put I'm gonna wake up in a room upside down hanging from the ceiling with an apple in my mouth or some weird shit and the whole crowd we don't feel that way when we're there well I do I don't like joining I don't like being joined because I went to the candy counter and I go, I'll have two bottles of water and a chocolate bar. And they're like, that's $72. <laughs> and uh, so I gave them the $72 and she goes, are you a member? And I'm like, why is everyone asking? Why can't you just get on the fucking headset with the first person I dealt with? Since clearly you're tracking me around the fucking building here. You know that I smoked to join in the car park, okay? You know that. And, by the way, uh, the area between the lobby of the uh, uh, Arclight and the Cinerama Dome, there's ample time to smoke a joint in that area before you get to Black Panther. Or at least vape. So, the two bathrooms are closed, and as Jennifer showed me this picture, every single ticket line, and there's 20 of them, the 15, 16 theaters or whatever, at the Arclight, said Black Panther on it, and all of them said sold out, right? So, like, they're selling mad tickets to this thing. This is when they chose to renovate the bathrooms. And so there's one handicapped one. I hate the word handicapped bathroom. It is so, what a misnomer. Well, like, you're going to walk into the bathroom and be like, oh, fuck, ah! 
I just pissed all over myself. No, it, it, handicap bathrooms are commodious and have a rail and shit. And the sink is super low. And there's always that, in England, there's always a weird red pull cord, which I'm desperate to pull, because I know, I know in England, no one's ever coming. There are more dead wheelchair-bound people in bathrooms in England than any country in Europe. There's always a red cord in every handicap. Why do you know, Greg? Because I do drugs in them. But the point is this. So we go to the Cinerama Dome. And it was great. Um, the crowd was uh, largely African-American, I'd say two-thirds. And so they show the previews, right? And at the arc light, they announced the movie. If you go to a regular movie theater, there's just like an hour of ads and then disappointment. Um, but at the arc light, the sound is inconceivably loud. And a, a person comes out before the movie and announces what's going to happen. And this woman, because it was Black Panther, was psyched beyond measure. And she's like, I'm so fucking glad it's Black Panther. Right, and everybody went, yay, right? So that was fun. Instead of the usual, if there is any problem with the projection during the motion picture, please put down your $8.50 popcorn and your $12.75 lemonade and alert one of us and we will do nothing, you know, whatever. They give you this weird spiel like it's all going to be okay. So uh, the movie, the previews, previews start and the first preview was... Um, um, fucking was it Mission Impossible or whatever this is like the 17th no no well, the first one was Deadpool and, it, and uh, okay <laughs> the crowd went <laughs> then Mission Impossible and it's the Mission Impossible and it's a helicopter and they're shooting each other from helicopters and then there's the actual line someone goes how long do you think a man like that is going to take before he comes back and then, right? And they're like, Mission Impossible 18. This time it's fucking unusual. And then the preview ends, and someone in the audience went, Really? <laughs> then the next one was Han Solo, the new movie, right? By the way, congratulations, Hollywood, again. What would have been the best movie you could have done this year if you were in on the Star Wars franchise? Maybe Princess Leia the early years or something? Am I crazy in that notion? Oh no, we're going to pick the sexist fucking white dude from the whole series and we're going to build a big heroic pre-story about him and shit like that. So they're like Han Solo the movie and of course there's a scene in the Millennium Falcon where they're twisting around and he goes, okay, everything's going to be alright. And then, oh shit, shit happens. And he's like, oh, I guess not. Here was the reaction to that joke in the theater. Um, let me make it more demonstrative for you. This was the reaction to, in the theater to that joke. Right? It was... Statuary. I've been in cathedrals that were noisier. You could have heard a film franchise drop. Three franchises in a row, and the crowd was. The sum total reaction was one person went, Really? 
I was never happier in my life. I really wasn't. It made me exalted. Exultant. Exuded. I excluded. I exuded. Uh, it's a good, fun picture. Spoiler alert. It's colorful. Um, and uh, it was so excellent to see a movie where um, white people are not a factor. And um, in this day and age, it was just really... Um, Everybody was so giddy through the whole goddamn thing. It has all the elements of all of those movies uh, and jazz like that, but it was wildly colorful. And the art direction, the set direction, the makeup and everything was extraordinarily um, exciting. Uh, the drums, I, I was on a, a, a woman's site on Twitter today. She goes by Waris, and it's at diasporic blues um, she points out a bunch of the elements of the movie Burundi drums played during royal ceremonies the tribal makeup is practiced by uh, many African tribes the architecture of Wakanda in the movie is inspired by the Sudano-Sahelian styles used by the Mandinka people of Mali and Songhai um, they use a giant shot of the Great Rift Valley that's in Kenya um, the women who uh, did months researching and making this movie uh, and Wakanda are Ruth Carter and Hannah Beechler. Uh, she was the production designer. Ruth Carter did the costumes. Uh, it's extraordinary. They do the Amazons of Dahomey, right, from the 19th century. Uh, there's so much Africana in it. And it is a movie, uh, as I say, I don't want to spoil anything uh, about it for you. But let me put it this way. Um, it's in African countries depicted in the movie where the aid of white people and the interference of white people never existed and never has to happen. And that's a bold new frontier uh, for everyone to deal with on Earth. Uh, as I say, the movie's been a sensation uh, all over the world. And I think people are genuinely relieved here uh, to see something like that in America. Uh, in Africa, let's see, this was... a. Uh, Jennifer sent me this article, has burst onto the screen, handing a powerful response to the unfortunate remarks about the continent. Uh, that's what we're talking about, this climate. Uh, at the red carpet in South Africa, swirled with stunning outfits and exclamations in the local uh, E.C. Zosha language, which, by the way, they speak in the movie, used in the film, uh, cast member John Connie laughed at uh, uh, Orange 45's views, which several African nations have openly scorned. Uh, Lupita said... Uh, no comment. Uh, the South African actor Connie, like many at Friday night's Johannesburg premiere, expressed pride at seeing an Afro-futuristic society that celebrates traditional cultures and dreams of what the world's second most populous continent can be. One thing you need to know, and a friend of ours who's from South Africa said to us, was um, Africa's wildly underdepicted on the globe and on the map. It's way bigger than it's depicted. It's bigger than Asia. It's bigger than a bunch of Americas. You could throw handfuls of Americas into Africa. The reason why the map's the way it is, and the reason why England's pink, and Canada's pink is because they made it that way. And the reason why the Greenwich Meridian runs through England is because of England. No one went, you know what, we should really have it in a small island off the coast of Europe. <laughs> uh, and, and the Mercator projection, which makes America the center of the world, and all of our states get colors, but every other country is just a vague, amorphous piece of shit that flies around. Um, Africa is like half the fucking world, basically, and billions of people live there. Um, that's what was exciting about seeing it. The time is now, uh, the sun is shining on Africa, he said. The movie came at the right time. We're struggling to find leaders that are exemplary and role models. We have got to start the show. <laughs> so much to fucking get through. 
When you see Black Panther as a young boy and he takes off the mask and you think, oh my God, he looks like me. He's African and I'm African. Now we can look up to some person who's African. Uh, Danai Guerrera, who grew up in Zimbabwe, said to bring this film home is everything. You'll love her in the picture. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything. Of her. I, I'm, I'm famous for spoiling movies and I'm not going to. Let me just put it this way. It's a joyous experience on about a thousand different fucking levels that's going on right now. Cinematically, yeah. It's, it's exhilarating as a... a uh, you know, a, a superhero picture and all that, an action picture, but also it flies in the face of everything that we're being pitched right now. And it, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a cartoon answer to that. But within that, I think it's extraordinarily profound. When every single screen in a movie theater in Hollywood is this movie, that's not... Again, like I said, no studio has ever been intimidated by a genius. No movie theaters ever put a movie on because of its merits. <laughs> and the crowd goes quiet again. <laughs> uh, DonorsChoose.org is a, a, a charity site that uh, W. Camo Bell, who's an old buddy of ours from the Bay Area, uh, Jennifer pointed out to me, he's always talking about it. You can go on DonorsChoose.org and give uh, to various people, um, children who have been shot in at schools, yes. Uh, at different schools uh, all over the country. You put in your uh, zip code and whatnot or wherever you wish to donate. And yeah, we're at the state in America. Schools need funding and schools require different things. Some want uh, writing utensils, some want paper, some want uh, a, a dazzling variety of things. It's called donorschoose.org. If you're wondering if you can do anything and you don't want to make a phone call and you don't want to march or anything like that. Um, it's food. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of schools are asking for food because the students come hungry and uh, they don't have enough money for food. So they need uh, to provide them with food. So it's, a, it's an extraordinarily worthy cause. And understand that young people will get uh, the education and, you know, God damn it. You imagine going to school fucking hungry and having to hang out all day. It, it's just it's so important to try to do something when the government uh, is in the act right now and by the government I mean this group of this cack of fucking stocracy of the Scambino crime family this is no government uh, we've had governments before and they do things like you know help uh, there's nothing but destructiveness and onanism in this fucking lot uh, you're never going to find uh, no one's ever going to smile no one's ever going to be happy with anything they've ever done nothing positive is ever going to happen they're never going to build anything they're never going to make anything better it's really that group you guys um, I know it's depressing and it's hard to get up and shit like that but think about it you can give to donorschoose.org uh, and make a, a, a small difference and I'm not saying you have to give a zillion dollars and shit five bucks imagine you can buy some juice and shit um, as far as the shooting uh, this week in Florida, uh, everytown.org, um, at Moms Demand, at Everytown, at CSGV, at Brady Buzz are all places you can go to find out about where marches are. Uh, everytown.org um, has a spot where you can type in your zip code. There's a march tomorrow at Pershing Square. Here are the big ones coming up. Uh, March 24th is the March for Our Lives. That's the one organized by the teenagers down there, the one started by them. That's March for Our Lives. April 20th is the National School Walkout. Students are going to go to school, and then at 10 o'clock they're going to split and go outside because, uh, as I said, this extraordinary group in Florida has uh, really 
change the game, I think, as far as uh, how we're going to react to this and what we do going forward. This can be a moment where, and that's why I feel so enthused this week, despite all the um, abuse scandals going on in the White House, despite the porn stars and the Playboy models and all of that jiggery-pokery and Russia and the indictments and Mueller and all the legalities that are swizzling down the pike, um, this is our moment. Uh, laws get changed when lawmakers are afraid of defying the will of the people because they're going to see their fucking livelihood taken away from them. They only understand one thing. That's why they've been so bloody greedy and been willing to back this fucking Nazi regime and shit is because they're getting what they want monetarily. Um, we know for a fact uh, that Paul Ryan got half a million dollars from the Koch brothers after the tax reform bill or whatever nonsense they're calling it. This is all newspeak at this point. Anything they say is Orwellian, which means it's the exact opposite of what they mean and or if Orange 45 says something, it's a projection. Um, he only projects because he cannot absorb. Um, the Women's March is also having an, uh, an action on March 14th. Um, 17 people perished in that terrible day um, and if you go to, uh, uh, let's see here. First, I want to read you this. The USA Today, as you know, is a communist lefty socialist rag <laughs> that comes out to poison the minds of the youth of America every day. This was their um, opinion page. The Second Amendment guarantees a constitutional right to bear arms, but it does not preclude reasonable regulation of the most destructive weapons, according to the Supreme Court Heller decision written by the late conservative Justice Antonin Scalia. You may remember Antonin Scalia. He was the one squirming because the Opus Dei um, metal fucking um, barbed wire ring that he wore around his thigh was digging into him while he was writing opinions against homosexuals, women, and people who labor for unions. Antonin Scalia was the embodiment of pure fucking evil on this earth, and I'm sorry to speak ill of the dead, but he was. Um, he was a blight on the Supreme Court and one of the low points uh, in American history. His death is still completely conjectural. Um, we really don't know if he's dead or what the fuck happened on the rich weirdo billionaire ranch that he went to where he was disappeared from, okay? With a stack of towels on his bed and a weird oxygen machine in the room. Yeah, that's never been satisfactorily explained. His body was flown to South America the day after he died. This is a Supreme Court justice and one of the most influential, powerful, and odious of all the Supreme Court justices. He was... Um, a, a stanchion and a beacon to the right wing because of his absolute indifference to human suffering and his um, um, adamant teen uh, um, stance uh, uh, about people's rights. He had no truck whatsoever with human feelings. Um, I remember him saying that he couldn't listen. What was it? He couldn't read the New York Times because it was too liberal for him. And I thought, I watch Fox News. How come you, as a person sitting on the Supreme Court, can't watch a different opinion than yours? What the fuck is that about? And that is, you're on a court for life, a sinecure, till the end of time. You can look up sinecure on the way home. <laughs> In any case, that's why I thought it was important that the USA Today um, uh, went back to the Heller decision because he wrote it and he didn't feel that way. And if he didn't feel that way, Antonin Scalia, who was only brought to um, uh, a fruition by sticking his febrile member into a musket. <laughs> I don't know that for a fact. I'm just... <laughs> 
throwing that out there as a joke, but you, of course, deal with it at your own table at your own. And the people in Belgium, a musket, you know what it is. Like a blunderbuss. For our Spanish friends, a, a harkabus. Does it make any sense that in Florida and other states you can't buy a drink until you're 21, but can purchase a firearm when you're 18? And this is a really weird line, but this is very USA Today. But can purchase a firearm when you are 18 and your brain is still developing. (laughs) Let me get this straight. Between 18 and 21, there's a lot of developing going on. Are you kind of developed by 18, Tony? You're new to this. Thank you. He said, yeah. I'll take that as a yes. Um, You've seen what these kids who are 16 and 17 are coming up with. You've seen how mature, poised, legal-minded, how heartfelt, sincere, with a minimum of bullshit. All the things that are ascribed to millennials, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly, um, you know, the shallowness and the, uh, the lack of social skills, the uh, um, abject uh, love of fame, the, the inability to communicate in a significant way. You know how you are. Um, some of those things are true and some of them aren't and I've always said on the show and I don't think there's anything truer that I've ever said when people older than me and my generation are dead the world is going to be a brighter fucking place so you have something to look forward to but I really do think that teenagers uh, and people in their 20s um, have a different outlook entirely Um, homosexuality doesn't mean a fucking great deal to them marijuana means fuck nothing these aren't issues they're going to... Abortion. These aren't things they're going to... Gun control. These aren't things they're going to argue over. They already see the fucking... They see it for what it is. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's a weird kid somewhere that's been poisoned by, you know, uh, Jesus and whatever. And Yeah, Jesus rode a dinosaur to his school and shot at him. And, you know, I get it. I get it. I get it. There's an anti-homosexual bazooka where you pray that, you know, and Mike Pence comes to you in a flaming pot. I get it. I understand. But you have to understand... This whole paradigm is a bunch of stegosauri. What's the plural of stegosauruses? This, is, this whole paradigm is a phalanx of stegosauri moving uh, toward the steady decline into the destruction of the, uh, of the day. Right? Where night takes over and ebony and, 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 and blackest pitch envelops us all. And then the next day, boom. When the peach sun rises, like so much hope from the sea, uh, that's when everything changes. And I don't think these kids can be denied. Um, When you look at how articulate the teenagers from this high school have been compared to how articulate this Congress and White House have been, then you can't help but feel anything but... I don't know about the brain developing, man. I had opinions when I was 17 that I've changed, but I've also been the same fucking asshole my whole life. I know this for a fact because I found a newspaper clipping of myself from when I was 21 and I was interviewed by a guy called The Question Man in San Francisco. I was sitting in Jackson Park on my fucking shit temp job downtown working for some company and he asked me what was wrong with the world and I said, white men and corporations fucking run everything and until they're gone, everything will be shit. And that was my answer in the San Francisco Chronicle. And that was like 1982 or whatever. So... 
I know that my brain wasn't developing anymore. You can learn if you're not a white person. You can learn if you're not a white man. There's all these obstacles to learning. Right? Right? Ownership, possessiveness, a uh, 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 hierarchy, a uh, strata, status, uh, um, the determination that fame or wealth is, is this uh, uh, not only an achievable goal, but a tangible thing that you can hold and have. All these weird, unbelievable fucking um, concepts that don't have anything to do with what's going on in the world um, dominate. Uh, otherwise, there wouldn't be a National Rifle Association or a Republican Party or uh, um, Jesus Flakes and shit. What is it called? Christianity. Uh, we're children. Surviving high school student David Hogg, 17. I never want to read that sentence again. Surviving high school student. Boo. 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 Uh, told CNN, you guys are the adults. You need to take some action to play a role. Work together. Come over your politics and get something done. That was in USA Today. Um, Mother Jones ran an article that I've read the entirety of, and I decided uh, to Jennifer that I wasn't going to read it again. But I want you to go home and read it, along with Audre Lorde's poems. You have two things to fucking do. <laughs> Motherjones.com, politics. It was called... Fully loaded, the 10 biggest gun manufacturers in America. They break it down. They go through all 10 of them. They talk about who the CEOs are, who the presidents are of these companies, and how much money they make, and where the money is going. Um, that's why the NRA is not the biggest association. No one belongs to the NRA. They say 5 million people, but it's like fucking Scientology. There's three fucking white guys. <laughs> Angry, ugly, icky, well-financed, well-connected, influential white guys. And they're the most dangerous kind. And that's what we're up against here. The Guardian. So, Mother Jones. It's called Fully Loaded, 10 Biggest Gun Manufacturers. You can read it. The Guardian. The NRA spent, uh, in 2017, $4.1 million on lobbying. More than the $3.1 million it spent in all of 2016. So, that's how you see they get things done. Emma Gonzalez was the teenage girl who spoke yesterday. I wanted to read a couple of her lines. I have 18 pages left. No, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Yeah, I'll skip that, but we'll do this. I wanted to read a couple of her lines because she was articulate and um, amazing. I hate, I hate the phrase amazing because everyone in LA always overuses it. Man, that fucking pie was amazing. No, two things are amazing. Uh, uh, the sunrise uh, uh, in the Caribbean, that's amazing. Uh, um, yeah, the smell of your lover's hair, that's amazing. Uh, uh, other than that mm -mm. <laughs> hardly anything's amazing what Emma Gonzalez did was um, a forthright statement of an, um, unbelievable earnestness how about we stop blaming the victims for something that was the student's fault the fault of the people who let him buy the guns in the first place those at the gun shows the people who encouraged him to buy accessories for his guns to make them fully automatic the people who didn't take them away from him when they knew he expressed homicidal tendencies and I'm not talking about the FBI I'm talking about the people he lived with I'm talking about the neighbors who saw him outside holding guns 
if the president wants to come up to me and tell me to my face that it was a terrible tragedy and how it should never have happened and maintain telling us how nothing is going to be done about it, I'm going to happily ask him how much money he's received from the National Rifle Association. You want to know something? It doesn't matter because I already know $30 million. This is a 17-year-old girl. No one in Congress has said this. No one on television has said this. You know? Uh, yeah. Divided by the number of gunshot victims in the United States, the one and a half months in 2018 alone, it comes out to being 5,800. Is that how much these people are worth to you, Trump? If you don't do anything to prevent this from continuing to occur, that number of gunshot victims will go up and the number that they are worth will go down and we will be worthless to you. To every politician who's taking donations from the NRA, shame on you. Un- fucking believable. There's been some great speeches from Sojourner Truth to Shirley Chisholm to Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Who, if she was alive right now and a man... And not just a figment of the GOP's imagination in this weird, bizarre world where she's still president. (laughs) After finding out what we found out this week, if Hillary Clinton was a white man, do you think she'd be on TV saying that the election should be null and void and that she should be installed immediately as president? Yeah. Yeah, you know it would fucking happen. I'll make it even clearer for some of the men in the room. His name is Bernie. And he shouts and he spits. And he's implicated in all of this. Whether or not he knew is irrelevant to the fact that he's implicated and was used by the Russians as a tool, as was Jill Stein. But Jill Stein, Jesus Christ, who fucking has a redwood deck? (laughs) (laughs) To make it clear to you, if Bernie Stein or uh, Sanders, (laughs) Bernie Sanders, both of them, had been close, or in his imagination had been close, even though he stayed in the election for three months after he was fucking clearly not going to be in it, and blah, 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 blah. You've heard my fucking opinion on this. If he'd come as close as Hillary did, if he'd say, beat Orange 45 in the popular vote, do you think at any point right now he would be complaining that he should be president right now? Does that make it any clearer to you? Do you understand what I'm talking about? The overwhelming avalanche of misogyny that happened in the last election precludes, absorbs, and absolutely envelops the comprehensive ocean of all the corruption and everything else, the racism, the the, the collusion, and all that that happened in the election. The overwhelming misogyny is the most important part you can ever feel in your life. The idea that I'm supposed to let that go the idea that anyone who voted for Hillary is supposed to let that go and uh, move on to another thing. Never, ever, 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 ever in my life. I am never, if I can help it, voting for a man again unless I vet that fucking guy like I would vet someone who is going to examine my genitalia with a fucking laser microscope. <laughs> That's what the result of this is. Men... And older white men have nothing in store for you that you better not fucking check out every goddamn motive they've got going. You ever been to the show before, Tony? It's good fun, isn't it? 
But Robert Mueller's an older white man. Robert Mueller has a sense of dedication. Robert Mueller and I disagree politically probably on everything. All of these people that are being impugned by 45, the FBI, whatnot, they're not liberals. They're not fucking Hollywood elite, fucking faggot-loving, swirling vortex of dead, baby-killing celebrity people like I am. (laughs) But we can agree on some things. Like there's a law still. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Here's an article you can read. Um, Oh, gee whiz. There's several articles. What you should read about is the heroes of uh, what happened uh, at that high school. I'm going to skip through that part and move to some other things here. (sighs) I want to talk about... uh, That doesn't seem very... All right, I'll talk about it for a second. I think I made my point on this. Um, Mueller has a team of superheroes. And they've put together this giant case and the case is closing in and that's why you're seeing the erratic behavior, the weird hate tweeting and the confabulation of all these um, bizarre ideas. In the last 24 hours, um, the leader of the greatest democracy the world has ever known has tweeted that it was um, the victims, uh, uh, the FBI's fault that the victims uh, died at the high school, that they should be... um, um, getting off the collusion case more and, and working on that whole um, Florida high school case more. Um, the, ho- the Florida FBI has nothing to do with the collusion case. This is how disjointed and broken um, the train of thought is. It's best not to think about what's going on uh, in his personal life or personal mind because it's hateful beyond all measure. When Newtown happened, President Obama, uh, you may remember him. He was the last president during the peace and prosperity scare of the 2000s. <laughs> the last legally elected president. After the last election, I was surprised the Ukraine didn't invade us. Um, went to Connecticut and talked to not only um, people who were closely related to the victims of what happened there, but uh, lots of people, over 100 people, and looked them all in the eye and hugged them and spoke with them and embraced them and asked about the victims. In the last 48 hours, uh, 45 has um, given a cursory, weird um, press conference where he never mentioned the word gun or gun control, Um, then went to uh, the hospital where he did the thumbs up and smiled uh, and spent 11 minutes there. Then he went to Mar-a-Lago where he was promised not to golf, uh, where Jennifer assured me, because she'd read a uh, piece about it today, that his staff insisted to him that he mustn't golf this weekend. And he was like, all right. Then went to a disco party last night, a disco theme party at Studio 54 theme party, where if you've ever read anything about him, and I'm not going to go into the gory details, um, he was a habitué of uh, New York nightlife in the 80s. And um, it was a real eyes wide shut affair. The fact that he's incapable of empathy, human feelings, um, or any articulate thought, or being able to reassure us, isn't. It, it, it's a fail. It's obviously his giant failing and a failing of uh, uh, 20% of America, but it's also why this presidency, or whatever we're calling it, um, can't sustain. Um, it's not just a dereliction of duty and that he's let every single individual in this country down by being able to 
articulate the simplest of emotions or the most rudimentary type of, uh, uh, of feelings between uh, one human to another, the anima that binds us all. He's unaware of it. To him, a good person is a sucker because you, they can be taken advantage of. To him, an honest person is a rube because they don't want to be a shyster. To him, uh, a, a good impulse is something to be shut down and quelled. To him, fidelity is uh, for losers because you can do whatever you want. You're a man and you're given a set of car keys, a map, uh, a, a dick, and an atlas to the world the moment you're born. To him, all of these things are true. Women are horrible, horrible liars or they're porn stars that are in, to be invited to parties and children are pawns in a giant game of money and, and excess. Um, so to understand that is uh, to understand how easily overthrown these type of base impulses can be. This is the stuff of medieval kings. This is the stuff of, uh, of tin pot tyrants and whatnot. Um, when you see the sincerity uh, of those high school students, when you see the magnitude of the Women's March uh, last year and this year and how it got bigger and how people are more organized and how everything that goes down is noted now and how every election is contested to the last vote and how trans people and gay people and women are gaining their voices and how every bloody predator including fucking a bunch this week uh, um uh, 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 Neil Labute, the well-known misogynist playwright and movie director, uh, was fired or had to resign from his post. Um, what's the French photographer's name, Jennifer? You'll... Uh, Patrick yes, a well-known fashion photographer um, had been abusing everyone. He's uh, come under fire. Um, it's over, boys. It's over. The whole idea that you can hide behind shit and everyone's going to uh, put up a shield for you and then this can go on forever. And this is the undoing of this monstrosity. I know that you're thinking, well, Bill Clinton did one thing and he got busted for it, but this guy's got a porn star and a Playboy Playmate. Mm -mm 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 -mm. It's cumulative. It's a snowball. And it's a moral imperative. And we all feel it. And uh, we all feel the unbelievable buoyancy uh, uh, of knowing that there'll be a different world in a few years and it will take a few years everyone remember how you felt when W was president the same way Toni Morrison felt like it was a black cloud like fucking uh, a, a wrinkle in time you were shown the world and there was a grey enveloping fucking circle of evil around it that happens all the time it's the goal of white men <laughs> and other men who would collude with them by white men I don't only mean literally white men I mean the metaphorical white men that run the world who are Chinese and who are Russian and who are Indonesian thank you for laughing <laughs> uh, in the indictment uh, I wanted to read you one thing the internet research agency focused on the US population and conducted operations on social media platforms such as YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, the New York Times, Facebook the social network more than any other technology tool was singled out by Friday on Friday by the Justice Department which by the way Rod Rosenstein read that out as I've said um, because um, our Attorney General Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III uh, <laughs> latest senator of the confederacy um, <laughs> is unable to read the indictment out 
because he is recused from this legally. He has had to recuse himself because he is, as they say in the vernacular, up to his fucking balls in Russia. He's balls deep in this shit. Why the Attorney General of the United States was not the one who read the announcement is something you might consider. Uh, this social network, more than any other technology tool, was singled out Friday by the Justice Department. Prosecutors charged 13 Russians and three companies for executing a scheme to subvert the 2016. What are you getting at? Mark Zuckerberg is so lucky that he is not wearing stripes right now. And if there's any goddamn justice in the world, him and Jack from Twitter and Instagram and Google and all of these fuckers... Uh, and forgive me for dropping into I try to keep it on a highfalutin plane <laughs> any of these miscreants who were willing to uh, look askance at uh, integrity and take the money which was paid by PayPal which was paid in rubles sometimes uh, we've seen the details now we know what's going on um, the, the, the manager of, of Facebook ads went on the internet today and said well the ads were placed after the election was over don't even start with me you know you're an evil entity because you allowed these things to happen and you were willing to take the money for that. Understand that your phone is a tool. If you're on it all the time, so are you. And that all of the apps on the tool are not your friend. We must use all of them to communicate with each other and to keep this going and to inform one another as the newspapers fall one by the next. Um, uh, I just have a special place of hatred in my heart um, for Facebook for several reasons. One, I don't think he's ever had a genuine impulse in his life. His PR director, I'm talking about Zuckerberg, uh, uh, resigned this week. He had a person that was spinning for him. He also uh, uh, has floated running for office. That's not going to happen now. Um, he wouldn't go up here in front of Congress when Congress wanted to know about what was going on with Russia during the election. He sent an underling to do that. So that shows the contempt with which he holds you. Secondly, and thirdly, uh, or C, if you will. Uh, he's in bed with every giant corporation in the world and every giant entity, China, Russia, D, 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 D. Um, you mustn't trust them because they seem benign because they're on your phone. I know that a lot of people here are like, Greg, you're well over 50. That's why you're on Facebook. <laughs> Two people laughed. <laughs> Juliet Williams of UCLA Gender Studies said this about Orange 45. There's a flagrant impunity, just a performance of shameless entitlement on Trump's part at a moment when there's so much vulnerability in this country for people along so many different axes. People including immigrants, victims of sexual harassment, and many other groups. It's really galling. Yeah. It fucking is. Uh, Jennifer sent me this one. Facebook took down Navalny's video. Bill Browder uh, put this out. Navalny is one of um, Putin's main opponents in England. Facebook took down his video. I have a thousand other things here, and I'm going to skip all through them here. Uh, Joy Reid uh, is on MSNBC, and she's quite a good journalist. Um, before we get to that, uh, I wanted to hit you to a couple of things that are coming up. We're here tonight. You're aware of that. Uh, <laughs> is it Tuesday or Wednesday that we're at the film club? Wednesday. Wednesday. The 21st uh, will be at uh, the Egyptian Theater. The Greg Poops Film Club has moved to a sexy new location. We're over on... Um, over on Hollywood Boulevard. Sunset? Hollywood. Uh, across the street from Musso uh, to orient you. Uh, and we're going to show Gun Crazy. Uh, could I have picked a more inappropriate title for this one? 
Gun Crazy is a, a percussive and romantic story about a couple. It has nothing to do with them. Um, th- there's not a lot of gunplay in it. Anyway, it's called Gun Crazy. And it's worth seeing. It's one of the great noir films. It's at the Egyptian Theater. That's Wednesday night. Come and join us there for the Great Proofs Film Club. Then we'll be at the Throckmorton Theater in Mill Valley for our groovy white friends up there. Uh, that'll be the 28th of February. Uh, the 12th of March, we'll be at the Crocodile in Seattle, uh, which is pretty wild. And uh, then the 14th, back at the film club, we're going to show John Waters' Hairspray. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's a, a, a fantastic uh, film. And not the John Travolta hairspray, but the John Waters hairspray, the one from 88. I know he owns it, but that. Uh, the 22nd through the 24th of March will be at the American Comedy Company in San Diego. The Proopcast will be on the 22nd. If you've ever been to San Diego, I know. I know. It's weird. <laughs> I do a bit about guys wearing baseball caps and how that's a microaggression. And a dude lost his shit at me last time I was there. And had to be thrown out of the club. What do you mean had to be thrown out? I had him thrown out. Then his girlfriend piped up 20 minutes. For some reason, the girlfriend stayed. 20 minutes later, she piped up and she went, you insulted me. And I went, you know what? You're fucking thrown out now too. And so I threw everyone out. So it's a fun place. We'll be at Helium in Philly, uh, the 29th through the 31st. Podcast on the 29th. Uh, Philly, wow, what can I tell you? Uh, I used to be a roll. Till the whipple will of freedom zap me. Right between the eyes. Uh, now I live and breathe for Philadelphia freedom. Um, then the 25th through the 28th of uh, April. We'll be in Halifax at the comedy festival there. The Codcast will be on the 26th um, <laughs> at the Carlton Bar. In May, we'll be at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Uh, that's May 26th. That's a Saturday night. Um, we love Brooklyn, and we're back there for that one. I'm on the road with Who's Line a lot, you guys. We'll be in um, uh, British Columbia, IA, the 22nd through the 24th, up at the Hard Rock in Coquitlam and the River Rock in Richmond. BC. Then we're going to be in Walnut Creek, Sacramento, Monterey. Then we're going all around the country, the Midwest, the, the Southeast, the Northeast, all through April, May, and then again in the autumn in like September and October. So don't tweet me and go, how come you're not coming to fucking Dallas? We are fucking coming to Dallas. <laughs> we're fucking coming there. It's whoslifeanyway.com and shit like that. Joy Reid is, uh, and uh, cue up the last one there, Tony. I'll tee you up for this fucker. She has a show on MSNBC. She's largely uh, on the weekends where she has a show called AM Joy. And yet they let a bunch of white guys hold down a bunch of spots on MSNBC every night. For instance, there's Chris Matthews, who we know should have been fired after the revelation about the, Chris, uh, about the Hillary comments he made. Then there's Chris Hayes, who, whatever, if, if he could get Bernie Sanders' balls off his glasses for two seconds, he could do a fucking show. <laughs> Then there's Rachel, and thank you. Then I love Rachel. Stop bearing the lead. Then there's Lawrence McConnell. Um, For the first five minutes, Lawrence McConnell's fine. And then it's a trip into Lawrence McConnell's psyche for an hour. (laughs) Then there's Brian Williams, who I never mind. I know he lied about everything. I don't fucking care. He's fucking sexy. (laughs) And he leans and shit. And sometimes when he's questioning people, Brian Williams will go like this. Robert Mueller said today, and you're like, oh, yeah. 
You look good. Joy Reid. We have entered an age of unreason, an American dark age. America, a major political party has fallen into decay, seized full on by extremists, and overrun by racism, tribalism, greed, xenophobia, and demographic panic. It's no longer a question of whether their president can ever be our president and speak to the nation with moral authority. He can't. His legitimacy is too much in doubt, and his character too absent. The only question is whether the majority can hang on to its collective outrage long enough to drive the neo-Nazis, anti-modernists, haters and fearmongers who have organized under the Trump banner back into the shadows. So what should we celebrate on President's Day? Which is an awful holiday. I much prefer Lincoln's birthday, which is the 12th, and Washington's, which is the 23rd. We can celebrate the coming of change. This November, the American majority has a chance to build a wall around Trumpism by sending to Washington a Democratic Congress willing to insist Russian sanctions be implemented, to hold the White House to account rather than canoodling with them as Devin Nunez has done, and to wave the credible threat of impeachment in front of the benighted president. Willing to pass common sense immigration reform and gun safety reform and to shun the bloodthirsty gun lobby and relegate them to the margins of history where they belong. We can celebrate the persistence of hope despite the daily horror of Orange 45. People all over America are continuing to speak out, to organize, to march, and to withhold their silence and consent. This is the part I wanted you to hear. So tee this shit up. This is Funky President by James Brown. And we can celebrate the waves of candidates standing for office all over this country who are bringing a youthful energy and future focus to the campaign trail. We could see a wave of new leaders in America next year. Women and people of color, LGBT Americans, Muslims, and believers in science and pluralism who can yet give America a future worth cheering for while we await a president who's actually fit to lead us. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. Maybe Pete, you can't stop your business. Maybe Bell Prince, we have Pete Bell. Maybe you 